Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. All right, Julia, thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. Can you just introduce yourself to our audience and let them know how you first got introduced to the IFB? Um, yeah, thanks, Eric, for having me on here. I really appreciate yeah. you um, you doing what you do. So my background in IFB started, honestly, before I was born. My mom and dad met at an IFB church. My mom was 19 when they got married, and they actually both attended Hiles Anderson. It was after they got married that they attended there. And then they went to Dr. Ruckman's school down in Florida, PVI. Florida is actually where I was born. Um, and this is a side note, but my mom, my mom actually conceived me because my dad raped her. And I think that's interesting, you know, IFB fact that they, the guy is the head of the house and he's, he controls the wife. And so she didn't even know that it was wrong necessarily until after she got out. But um, my parents were married for 14 years. I'm number five out of six kids. And when my younger sister was born, he actually wanted my mom to have a secret abortion because she was, you know, this was the sixth and my dad didn't really have a steady job. So I think he was worried about financial, you know, providing for us. My mom didn't obviously. And glad because my sister's a good person. <laughs> glad right. to have her. Anyway, my dad was a preacher boy for sure. He he had plans to be a pastor, a missionary, but his plans changed really often. He moved us about 13 times during the span of their 14-year marriage, all in pursuit of God's will, you know. And like I said before, he didn't really have a stable job or income, so there was a lot of like side things and I think that's kind of why we moved around a lot, trying to look for work and stuff. My dad was also really abusive so badly that my mom thought he would kill one of us. He, he hid his anger problem from the people in the church. And 
I know it's not a surprise to people listening to you that uh, my mom was advised to not leave my dad. You know, divorce is wrong. She did seek counsel by a lot of different people, but they all advised her to to not leave him. She remembers, she tells this story a lot, and it's one of our stories growing up that she went into my brother's room, my older brother, and he was crying at night, and she heard him crying, and she asked him what was wrong, and he said, God doesn't answer prayers. I've prayed Mm. for dad to stop hitting me, and he doesn't answer prayers. Mm. And I think that for her, that was a turning point. She also tells this story about her talking to a police officer and him saying, you know, you'll be held accountable for this in court if you don't do something, if you know that there's something going on and you decide to do nothing. And I think at that point she realized she needed to leave. And we ended up leaving in the middle of the night and went to a batter woman's shelter, a batter shelter. And we were there for about six months and they did end up getting a divorce. Uh, She didn't reveal a lot to the judge. So he still did get to see us. But since he lived further away, it was not like every other weekend, like most families. It was um, right. a couple of weeks out of the summer and stuff like that. All of those instances, there was so many instances I could just talk forever about weird things that happened there. I will say it was nothing sexual, but a lot of physical abuse, a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of yelling, and it was it was difficult right. to to even visit him. But So on my mom's side of it, when we were with my mom, she did take us to an IFB church. And I think for her, it was still just the right type of church. And so we continued to go and we were there every time the doors were open. I didn't feel like we were fully accepted there because my mom was divorced. Mm. There was a lot of people we felt excluded by. I remember one time when I was in the choir, I sang in the choir and I was told that I was a button that could easily be replaced. Uh, that was by an older lady in the choir just because I suggested a song to sing. Right. I think situations like that were common and it just made you feel like, you know, you're not accepted or, or loved or whatever. Right. And um, about what age was this when you were going to these other churches? Like around what time did you, your parents separate and did you and your mom start going to this new church? So I was five when my mom left. My older sister was 14. So, so yeah, she was, she had experienced more of the crazy side of my dad. But anyway, my mom actually remarried when I was 12 Hmm. and she met him at our church and he was an IFBer and a Ruckmanite also. He was extremely racist. And I remember some comments he made even just not knowing, because I was younger, I remember just feeling so uncomfortable about, about the way he talked about black people. And right. he, he actually moved us from our, we had, we, we lived in a relatively normal house. It wasn't big, but it was normal. But I mean, I'm not kidding when I say that he moved us into a shack that his dad had built. And the original plan was to fix it up and sell it. And then buy you know, a more appropriately sized house for our family, but that never happened. And actually, once we were all grown, my mom ended up secretly buying a house on her own and tried to convince him to move in with her. And she was afraid, I think, that he would try and stop her. So she, she did it in secret, but he didn't move in with her. And I remember him arguing with me about it, saying, 
if I wanted her to live in a tent, she should be willing. Hmm. Um, so that's the kind of man that he was just very IFB. The man is the head. The man is in control. I remember when I was about 13 during youth class, I was joking with my friends and I made a comment that I didn't know was sexual, but I guess it could have been taken in a sexual way, but I was so young. I didn't know any better. And the teacher told me to come to the bathroom with her and she was going to explain it to me. I was like, no, that's okay. And uh, she started pulling me by the arm and she was actually dragging me. My feet were sliding on the floor and she continued to pull me towards the bathroom I did end up getting away. I, I actually pushed her hand off of my arm and I didn't even know what I was trying to escape from. I just knew that I don't want to be alone in the bathroom with you while you right. explain me what this means, you know? Right. Um, so I think there's a lot of instances like that. Um, you can tell me if I'm going too fast. There. No, not at all. It's, it's, I'm just listening to your story. I mean, it's, it's very coherent and I'm following it well, but, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> you, you said beforehand there was a lot of background, and yeah. it's not a joke. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of crazy experiences from the very beginning. So, so your experience basically started pretty negative. Like from basically as long as you could remember, it was fairly a fairly rough experience within the the IFB world. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it. I remember my earliest memories them being fearful, extremely fearful. Mm. And I was actually, we have five kids, me and my husband, and we do these discussion cards each night at dinner. And a couple nights ago, the discussion was describe your earliest memory. And we all go around the table and they all talked about their earliest memory and they were happy and good. And when it became my turn, I didn't even want to share. My earliest memory is my dad getting home from work early and us being so terrified of him that we all hid. Mm. And, you know, that was before I was five. So that was before my mom left. And that's hard to even explain to my kids. It's not even something I want to explain to them right? that you can be so afraid of your dad that you would hide from him. So, so yeah, pretty negative. Absolutely. Mm. I actually worked at the church that we went to as a secretary to help pay for my college and we had a pretty big name youth pastor. One of his dad was actually a really famous, you know, in the IFB land, a famous evangelist. And so okay. he was, he was famous by default. He was his son and he was our youth pastor. He came in the office while I was working and it was common that I would be working alone, which is unfortunate, mm -hmm. but that was pretty common. And he shut the door and he started giving me a, a shoulder massage and I knew right away. This is not, this is not good. This is not innocent. And I didn't really know what to do. I, I feel like I became paralyzed, you know, then he's like, let's wrestle. I bet I could win if I wrestled you. And I mean, aside from like all of the, that's weird. You're married. Um, right. There is so much fear. And I, I can't really, I'm, I've never had counseling. I would I think it's actually would be so beneficial for me, but right. um, it just never worked out. But honestly, so much of this, I relate to my dad and, and the upbringing. So I was really afraid, but I, I was quick and I said, I'm, I'm going to use the bathroom. You know, I got to go to the bathroom. So I was able to get out of that. But I remember thinking if I ever said anything, if I ever spoke up, no one would believe me. Right. 
Yeah. He, he's this big name in the IFB. Everyone would believe him and no one would believe me. And that was a frightening and lonely feeling. That was like, your story is not going to be trusted and no one's going to believe you. And that's awful. Right. So there's a lot of things like that. All of my sisters have similar stories. They've actually all wanted to do a podcast with you. (laughs) (laughs) And um, what a weird list to be on of uh, (laughs) I'm the person that people, (laughs) yeah. But so I just feel like there's, we we could just fill books with, with all of it. But we did, I did go to West coast and in a way it was helpful to get out um, mm. of home and to kind of be away from my stepdad and the crazy church environment. And I did feel like West coast was totally different than the environment I grew up in. Okay. And now hindsight, I can see some of the damage there. I feel like as an adult, you think about things so differently and you understand things differently, but, but it was a welcome change at, at first. Right. There was crazy rules. I remember getting in trouble a lot. And I remember really having a hard time with the Christian living classes. There was a lot of crazy things that were said. I don't know if, I'm sure everybody that goes to a Christian college has a similar experience where the Christian living is just laughable. And I had a big problem with that. Although I didn't say anything, obviously, at the time. But I think the danger the one of the biggest dangers of Bible college is thinking you're a pretty good person because you're accepted when you do the right thing. And when the staff sees you, you know, serving in a certain way or looking a certain way. And it really makes, I think, and I, I, from personal experience, I think it makes the bad people look pretty good. Mm. And the, the really good people like good down deep in their heart, they look pretty bad. I was told by the Dean of Women that I needed to style my hair more so it was more attractive. And I think I lived in fear a lot of leadership. So I had an eagerness to please. And I think it really messed with me when I was in trouble with the leadership there. It was difficult, the slightest infraction, one wrong look or or word and I, I got anxiety and, and I was afraid. I remember getting demerits for my skirt being too short, but that was because the wind blew it up. So it just didn't matter. It, it was difficult to please them. And I actually remember my boyfriend who's now my husband. He was told to be careful about dating me because I was needy. That was difficult to hear. I'm assuming you heard this long after the fact. No, <laughs> no, he told me pretty much right away. And I'm glad he did. I could say, well, what in the world? You know, I could, we could talk about it. So I worked in the kitchen at West Coast to help pay off my school bill. And there was an elderly male volunteer that worked in the kitchen and he would touch me. I noticed he did it to other girls too. It didn't seem like it was threatening. But it was definitely uncomfortable. Right. Um, I remember standing in the doorway, you know, working, and he grabbed me by the sides and moved me out of the way. I just right. remember thinking, I, I don't know how to tell this guy. I don't want you to do that to me. I didn't feel like um, that was an environment where a girl can speak up and say, that's not okay. What yeah. you're doing to me is not okay. Right. Um, 
Dr. Gibbs came to give a CLA class for chapel one day. And most of the student body, I remember they were sleeping. It was extremely boring, but I was listening. We were even told, you got to listen to this. This is important. And anytime that was said, anytime I was as a student expected to do something or be somewhere, I was there. I did it. Right. I didn't want to be in trouble. And so I remember listening and there was one part in the lesson that really piqued my interest because I worked in the kitchen and they were talking about volunteers and how volunteers couldn't be compensated the way that they were for volunteering. And I think they had like a volunteer banquet at West coast where they would give out gift cards and baskets and things like that. I I think the state of California was cracking down. I'm assuming because of tax purposes, I didn't know much about it then it was over my head even you know as a 19 year old and now still over my head but I remember working my next shift in the kitchen and the volunteers coming to me and asking me about that and I was shocked because I was like I didn't even know that they knew we were having this class Um, so they were asking me what did they say about volunteers and the banquet and I was like I just I just told them exactly what what was said what I remembered you know yeah And the next day I got called into the vice president's office. I was reprimanded and I got yelled at. And he, he was like, you need to use your brain and think before you talk and not everything needs to be said. And I was like, I didn't know here, here I am. I'm 19. I, you know, fresh out of my, my house trying to figure out who my authorities are in this world. And people are telling me, you know, asking me what was said. So I, I feel like I was pressured, you know, and I told him that I said, I feel like they pressured me. And, and then I mentioned that that older volunteer had been touching me and that I didn't feel comfortable. And his response was, do you know how much money he saves the college by volunteering for us? And again, that is just this, this reaffirmation. You're not allowed to speak out about stuff that makes you uncomfortable. Right. And I remember talking about this with, with Joe, my husband, at what point do you get to say that's too far? Yeah. At what point do you get to tell staff something is wrong? Something happened to me or, or something is happening, or I feel afraid that something will happen. It, it just reaffirmed that that's not, that's not the, the place where you can speak freely. Every Christian college has this obsession with getting young people married and then in ministry right away. I have so many opinions about that now, but obviously we were no different. We, right after college, we got married. We moved to Arizona where my husband's parents serve and they have served for now 40 years, over 40 years. It's an IFB church. And immediately, almost immediately, we started serving as the, my husband, the assistant pastor and I was really excited to serve in ministry. I I genuinely like people and I like church and I was familiar with all of the churchy things. So I didn't have any problems with it. It was an exciting time. There was so many experiences really early on that I feel like have foundationally affected me for the rest of my life. I would like to call it manipulation. I don't think that is the word that they would use, but that's the word I would use. And definitely whether it was intended or not, it kept me in my place, so to speak. I'm an Enneagram six, so I'm a people pleaser. I struggle with anxiety and I want people to like me. I want them to be proud of me. And 
from the beginning, I just felt like I really had to work hard to get my mother-in-law to accept me and like me. And having a a pastor's wife that's also your mother-in-law is... Yeah, that's awkward. (laughs) it, it, It is difficult. It is difficult. It took me a really long time to even admit that it was difficult. I wanted it so badly to just work out and this is really good and it's okay. But when you're taught in your environment from birth up that the pastor is God's authority in your life and the pastor's wife equally, or maybe, you know, second tier, that carries a heavy weight. Right. Everything that they say and do and expect of you, it affects the way you view God. It affects your, you know, your spiritual life. So I don't know, strongly, you know? Right. So early on in our marriage, I was told in, in a roundabout way that I spend too much money. I mean, I didn't even, this was just so out of the blue. I didn't even spend money. I didn't even, <laughs> right. It's so weird. Well, uh, if you're in ministry, you probably didn't have money. So, you, so. you didn't have money. And I mean, this right. is my first time that I'm, I'm, we have anything. If, you know, the very little bit right. that we got, it was like, but she, she was kind of just talking to a group of ladies and she said, every marriage has a saver and a spender. Mm. And, and I said, I think I'm the spender. And she said, Oh, we know. <laughs> and, I, and everybody laughed. And I thought, I, I guess I thought, okay, she's joking, but it hurt. Yeah. And now being an adult, I just realized a young person that's newly married, newly in ministry, I just, I, you got to be careful about what you say, you know? Yeah. Um, and I read something recently that said, if it was meant to be a joke, but it wasn't funny, it's not a joke. Right. And that struck a chord with me. And I think that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. I was also told I was bipolar. I had had my first daughter and I was struggling with some baby blues mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen my doctor yet, but I remember revealing some of these things. I actually Googled my symptoms and mm-hmm. bipolar came up as one of the results. Yeah. And I told my, my mother-in-law, I think I might be bipolar. And she said, I know. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that, that was, that was very difficult to hear. So I actually went to the doctor. She said, no, you have, you, she actually laughed at me. She said, you have some postpartum depression. It's really normal. She offered me medication, but at that point I was actually feeling better. So it left me with this, like my mother-in-law thinks I'm bipolar, you know? Right. And and she also at the during that same time she had admitted to me that she warned my husband about me, and all of this all of this heavy stuff. Yeah. That I was thinking, I you just really don't accept me, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, it was it was very difficult. I think ad- all of it added together just made me feel inadequate. It made me hurt, and then and then it started to make me angry. Yeah. Um, so she also made a comment that people who say they're hurt by the church are lying. And I thought, I thought she was directing that at me because I had told her some things in the past that, that had been said and done in church. And so that made me think that she was directing that at me. Yeah. Several years later, when I brought up this whole manipulating, except I used the word hinting, you know, yeah. 
how you hint in conversation, how that might not be an effective way to communicate. And she said, that is absolutely an effective way to communicate. A lot of times people won't hear you, but if you hint. And so that, that taught me a lot about her and about what they expect. And I, I guess we were there for 13 years and I guess in the beginning, I, I really wanted to be happy and, and really wanted to do the right thing. And I, I look at it like a timeline of, you know, eager and, and excited in the beginning and then kind of, you know, less eager and excited and, and then finally just frustrated and fed up. I found, I, I did find ministry to be empty mostly because of the example this is all, I just want you to know, this is extremely hard for me to, to share this. It's hard because, you know, this is my husband's family and so much of our experience in the IFB is also experienced with family. That makes it very difficult. It makes, it's everything about this, the aspect of forgiveness and abuse, all of it is just extremely, it's like stuff I'm wrestling with every single day, trying to figure out what is the right response you know, what, what's, what is, what should I be thinking and feeling right, right. now? You know? Yeah. So along with all of the crazy things that um, she said to me, there was so much about the ministry that I felt like was unloaded on me, you know, 35 years at that point, I think it was 30 years of ministry that they had been in. And I think I was her sounding board, you know, I felt it was my duty at first, you know, to listen and even help, but yeah. I noticed it affected my attitude about church and about people and even about God. And I didn't like that. I didn't like the way it made me feel. I, th- I remember telling Joe so many times, I am not going to do ministry like her. I'm not going to do that. And I just didn't want that misery, you know? Right. And then after my son was born, he's my third So after my third child was born, I remember going to bed on a very normal night and I woke up in the middle of the night with what I now know is a panic attack. At that time, I didn't know. I thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't know about mental illness or or anything. There's, there's not really any resources, you know, um, in, in most churches, if any, that I've been a part of. So I didn't know about it. And it was, I would say that, that, that started for me some of the worst months of my life. The darkest and scariest times of my life were after that. And it was like a snowball effect. I couldn't sleep. I could barely eat. I lost a lot of weight. I remember wanting to run away and it got so bad. I, it, 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 honestly, to admit that I was struggling with something like that to my mother-in-law was like a dark cloud of doom. Don't do it, you know? But it got to the point where I was so desperate. and we ended up going to their house and and telling them um, Joe and I just, we wanted someone else's opinion. You know, what is happening? What do we do? You know? And there was no compassion, no encouragement. It made me feel so much worse. And I just felt like I was in a place of no hope, honestly. Mm. And after a couple of days of, of after that, I remember her saying, you know, this is hard for Joe too. And I just couldn't believe, I couldn't believe it. 
I couldn't believe that she would say that to me. I, I had moved away from my mom and siblings, the people who loved and accepted me no matter what to this place where I didn't fully feel loved or accepted. And now I feel like I was being blamed that I was even just struggling. And that was just, that was the darkest time of my life. But Hmm. thank, I mean, thankfully Joe was a supportive guy and listened to me and helped. We really had to, I felt like we clawed our way out of those days and I ended up getting on some medication and doctors trying to tell me, ask me about my past and me just saying, no, it has never affected me up until now, you know? Right. Uh, and finally, just, I remember a doctor finally just looking at me and saying, let's just get you to a point where you can sleep again. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and, you know, medication is so taboo in the IFB and, and mental illness is just, it's not talked about. And I find that so funny because part of me, um, thinks that a lot of my anxiety and need for medication is because of the IFB. <laughs> right, right. So anyway, I'm glad that, that I found help. Yeah, that's a crazy um, thing that I struggled with for a long time was like, because for a long time, like the all the, you know, mental health treatment or, or seeing a therapist, all that was so frowned on. And it was mm-hmm. like, they encouraged you to go to a counselor in the church. And I was like, why would I go to someone in the place that's giving me anxiety (laughs) to talk about my anxiety and, you know, any other issue. So it's kind of a circular, a circular problem that you have. Yeah. They don't trust anybody outside anybody quote unquote worldly that would bring a worldly perspective, you know, And, and a lot of them say it's a spiritual problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember my father in law, who I think is a very meek and mild person, actually. But I remember him saying, you got to stop thinking about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I didn't know how to tell him. I, I mean, now I want to scream it. Now I want to say I wasn't thinking about myself. And in fact, the, the people I was most concerned about were my kids. And I didn't know. I didn't know what was happening to me. Right. And I think if I had my family close by, they would have been able to say, you're going to a doctor, you know, we're going to get you some help. And um, just um, knowing that I really felt like nobody had my best interests at heart. Right. That's, that's a terrible place to be in. And I think my, my husband did. And, but I didn't even know how to tell him. I thought this is all just, this is like peeling layers to an onion. It's just slow and it comes out in little stages and steps. But I, I now looking back, think I was so afraid to tell him things because I thought he was them. I related him to being one of them. And since now being, looking back on it in hindsight, he was looking just like I was for a way out, you know, right out of the crazy. So there were several things that happened that solidified in my mind, the need to leave. I mean, all of the, you know, instances, things set feelings just, and, and even I'm not talking about stuff from just 
my mother-in-law and father-in-law, the, just the way that the church is run, just, you know, the crazy rules. Why do we, why are, why do we have leadership requirements? Why, why do we preach an emphasis on these stupid rules, but we ignore the greatest two commandments? I mean, literally ignore. I have never heard a message in my whole life on the greatest two commandments. Why? When all of the law and prophets hang on that, why aren't we talking about that? And as I started to study and read on my own, which I always have, but I feel like it was always from a framework or... It was curated a little bit. Your your Bible experience was curated by your college or church or... Yes, it was bias. It was it was just from this framework of IFB. And when I started to study as an adult, realizing that I get to make up my own mind about all of this, and I came across verses and passages, and I, fe- I feel like I felt the weight of Jesus's words when he said that all of the law and prophets hang on this. Then I started to really question some things. And I think things that solidified in my mind, the need to leave was one particular couple in our church had been through an incredibly awful tragedy. And the things that they said about that couple, the way that they responded to that situation was extremely, it was sad, just sad. And I couldn't, I I guess I just thought people are, are, going to go through tragedy and hard times. And if we don't lift them up and give them grace when they need it most, and they did need it most, they lost their son. And there, there was no, there was no compassion or help. It was, I wish they had responded better. And it was, oh, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't reason that in my mind. And then I did bring up the sexual abuse stuff in the church. I ended up reading and hearing somebody, it wasn't your podcast, but it was something like that, you know, and I brought it up to my in-laws thinking we need to crack down at our own church. We need to have a meeting and bring up the mandatory reporting laws and we need to have volunteers go through background checks. And I actually started to implement some things. And when I, when I brought, when we brought that up to them, I, we were told we're not going to talk bad about Baptists Mm -hmm. because that's what we are. And I thought, I'm going to talk bad about him. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Say that. Obviously, I never said any of that. So after that, the couple that had gone through their hard time, they ended up leaving. And I was very close to her. Very, very close. And when she left, I kind of felt like I don't have anybody here. Right. We would talk about some of the things that we realized were happening in the IFB and we didn't know it was IFB related, but we would talk about it together. And when she left, I just realized there's nobody else. And I 
I felt like I had no, I kind of had that feeling of no hope again, you know? Yeah. And I remember telling my husband, I remember asking him, why do we do church? Why do we have church? And he was like, oh, don't start. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, and we, we did, we just, it ended up being a, a crazy burst of emotion and yelling. And I think all of it came out for both of us. And I, I said, I want to do ministry with you, but you, you know, we've got to figure out how to do it together. And you can either do ministry here with me, without me, or you can do it with me somewhere else. (laughs) And so we, we made plans that we, that we kind of made our exit route after that. So what's been the journey since then? What's been most helpful, like having left and obviously like trying to unpack all of this background and, you know, now as a parent yourself and, you know, dealing with your own family, like what's been most helpful to you guys as you, you know, adjust to like normal, I guess, normal life for lack of a better word outside of that, that world. First want to say that I don't feel healed yet. Mm. I think we're still, we're about a year and a half, a little over a year, year and a half away out from leaving. And I still don't feel healed. I think that it's going to be a process. And I will say that listening to your podcasts are extremely helpful to know that there are other people that have gone through this that have been in that world, you know, I started to find healing in like posting on Facebook. And then I got a lot of backlash from his family. I got blocked and deleted, accused of having an agenda and being divisive. And so then I kind of just, I've kind of shied away from that lately. I, I think talking with Joe about it is incredibly healing. We, we talk about it a lot and encourage each other and then reading for myself, my Bible and, and praying and just, just laying it all out there to God, you know, right. here I am. And my friend told me she left too. I told you she left and she's been a voice of, strength and hope to me. And she told me, we never knew what grace was. We never knew what it was. And so we are learning it now. And you just have to learn to live in his grace. Right. Right. That's awesome. So what would you say to someone, and maybe this goes into your last answer, but what would you say to someone who, you know, Right. I guess the best way to phrase it is, what would you say to yourself if you could, if you could go back and talk to yourself at some point throughout your life within it? Maybe, you know, throughout your college experience, or maybe even childhood growing up. Like, if you could talk to someone who's experiencing the same situations or patterns that you experienced, what would you say to them to encourage them, or to, or what advice would you give them? I would tell them that you are loved and accepted just like you are. And that you don't have to do anything to earn it. It's already there. And 
you can question, you can think for yourself, you can learn and grow and you don't have to believe what other people around you believe. Yeah. And, and don't stop. Don't stop mm. questioning and don't stop learning and don't stop growing. That's awesome. And then the, the question I always end on is about the IFB in general. And you've obviously had, you know, experiences with a lot of churches and, and people within that world. And I'm curious to hear your answer. Do you think there's potential for reform of the IFB movement? Do you think there's a chance that there could be a change or a, you know, some reformation of the way that things have been done for these last several decades? No, I don't. <laughs> and I would love nothing more than for it to fade away. I think church, sh- I, I personally just don't think church should have labels mm. like IFB. I think, I think the church is a body of believers and it's good to have different ones. And I think that, you know, if you think about what the IFB was built on and who built it, you know, um, the founding fathers, if you will, of the IFB, they're not good people. And so, no, we shouldn't continue to celebrate and support and uplift a movement that is, that's very history is reeks of abuse and scandal and, absolutely not get it get it out yeah yeah that's always my thought is like the idea of because because people brought it up before when I first started talking about doing this and even before that like when I would just talk about that movement I would say you know people would ask me like hey do you think it can be reformed and the idea of reforming something means going back to when things were good or or like realigning to what it was Mm -hmm. and when you look at the history, it never was, it hasn't changed. It it was, it's, it's roots are in this stuff. And so that's always my kind of thought is like, I don't think you can reform something that's never been a good thing. Um, It's never, you know, the the, group of people that claim that the Bible is their only authority. They certainly lack a lot of Bible in their doctrine and in their foundation, the Bible being your only authority, why do you call yourself IFB then? Right. I mean, the church didn't have a name. I mean, I see this about saying they're independent, but it's just very disingenuous when, you know, there's this claim of absolute authority of scripture and independence and autonomy when everything is relying on, you know, something that was said by some leader or founder of this movement <laughs> it's that's a pretty difficult claim to make when it's not coherent with how you actually believe like obviously there's descriptors like you know there's differences theologically between a baptist and a lutheran or a baptist and a presbyterian or you know fill in the blank but yeah to to have to keep cutting yourself off and circling a, a smaller and smaller circle to fit you and a handful of other churches just starts defeating the purpose. <laughs> it's it's when you start 
having to cycle. Well, Baptist is in a, Southern Baptist is enough. We'll be independent Baptist. So that's not enough. We'll be independent fundamental Baptist. That's not enough. We're going to be King James only independent fundamental Bible believing Baptist. And <laughs> it, it just starts getting kind of silly at, at that point. Yeah. Um, narrower and narrower. And along with the addition of names comes the addition of rules and right. addition, you know, you're just narrowing your circle and your table and your mind frame. And it, I think it's it feeds their lust for control and mm. authority. And I personally, I mean, everything you said is so true. I think the IFB claims to have all of these doctrines and you read them, even in Bible college, when I read them, I was like, yeah, that's good. That's true. I'm so glad to be a part of a group that believes the Bible is their only authority until you actually read the Bible and realize, no, that's not it. The hypocrisy is, and I know people will say that too. I'm, I'm sure you've heard it. Well, nobody's perfect. Of course, right. there's preachers that make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. But I mean, I have a hard time even answering that. I just feel like if if we're all going to be labeled as this group, why not? Why, why attach a label to it? Why not use the Bible as your authority? if that really is your final authority, why not just call it a church? I mean, there's so many questions I've had and every question is met with, I'm sure you've experienced it too. Just almost a gawk. Like right. you're not allowed to ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. It's, which is a telltale sign that you should probably get out when you're, when you're limited in what you can ask and what you can challenge and what you can question. That's kind of, right. that was one of my biggest reasons that I left was the, the inability to really ask questions about why, like, why do we do this? And my nature as a person is to ask why about everything to uh, like an excruciatingly painful, you know, extent. My, my dad always laughs. He's like, your brother was like really easy. And he just said, yes, sir. And he's like, and you, I had to give like 14 reasons why <laughs> everything that we, everything we did, you had, I had to walk you through like all the different reasons that we were doing it. But I think that's important. I think that's something that's a takeaway that I think a lot of people need to have is ask questions. Like if you're in one of these churches, like ask your pastor hard questions. Like that's kind of what they're there for. <laughs> um, yes. You know, I wanted to say too about your brother. I feel like I'm like him. But it was hmm. people like you that I listened to their questions, knowing I had the same questions. Right. I had the same ones. I was just too afraid to ask. I didn't want to make people unhappy with me. You know, age does something to you. It kind right. of makes you realize, I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. Right. Here I am raising these kids, and I just want, I want them to have a good future. And I want them to genuinely love God, and I want them to believe on their own. I don't right. want it to be something I've controlled for them or made them do or made them think. So that helped me ask a little bit more, but it was people like you that I was like listening to the questions and listening to the answers, Yeah, which makes people like me think. That's awesome. Well, yeah. And I hope that's what the show is. I hope that there's people listening, you know, who are, I, I've said this before too, but like, I hope there's people listening who are sneaking the show at their Bible college or, you know, listening to it, who, aren't asking these questions, but it's raising those questions in their mind and opening conversations and discussions yeah. and getting people to think about why they are what they are and why they are at where they're at. And, 
you know, I, I hopefully that does that. So. Right. But awesome. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I barely talked that episode, but it's because your story is really interesting and, and you're, I mean, I think you shared it in a perfect way. And I, I really, I really do. I think it's going to be, there's something in there that people can take no matter what aspect of life they relate to. And I, I just appreciate you sharing so openly and, and being really transparent about your experience. It, it really was a, a good conversation and I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on and thanks for everything that you do. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.